Welcome to this installment of Witness to Yesterday, the podcast of the Champlain Society. My name is Greg Marshallden, and today we are going to talk to Dale Eisler about his political history of Saskatchewan, covering the last half century. Dale Eisler is a former journalist, federal public servant, including spending time as an assistant deputy minister in the Department of Finance, Canada's Council General in Denver, and he's currently Senior Policy Fellow at the Johnson Shoyama Graduate School of Public Policy at the University of Regina. He is also an author of four books, including two previous books focused on Saskatchewan history. The first was a biography of Ross Thatcher, the controversial Premier of Saskatchewan from 1964 until 1971 and a more general political history entitled False Expectations, Politics and the Pursuit of the Saskatchewan Myth. Today, Dale has joined us from his home in Regina to discuss his most recent book, From Left to Right, Saskatchewan's Political and Economic Transformation, published by the University of Regina Press in 2022. Dale, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Greg. It's a pleasure to be with you. So let's start with why you felt the need to write this political history of Saskatchewan focusing on, uh, I would say, the last 50 to 60 years. What question or paradox was driving you to do this? Well, actually, paradox is likely a good way to uh, describe it. Uh, I spent a number of years away from Saskatchewan um, from kind of the mid-90s to about eight years ago. And during that period, while I when I was gone, there really was a significant political shift in Saskatchewan, the province I left to the one that I found when I came back. And the paradox was, how did Saskatchewan go from being a province with a clear identity as a uh, with a socialist kind of history in in some regards, certain certainly social democratic, uh, and that was very much still the reality when I left in the mid nineties. And how was it that when I came back, it was very much seen as a bastion of, of uh, right-wing or center-right conservatism? You could argue maybe, uh, in political terms, the most conservative uh, province in Canada. So to me, this was a, a really kind of a fascinating story, one, maybe the most, one of the more interesting stories in Canadian politics and, and underreported in, in many ways, not, not in the sense of, uh, you know, Events along the way weren't reported. They certainly were election and election results and whatnot. But, but some attempt to explain how did this actually happen? What was the process that led uh, this transformation uh, that I believe happened in Saskatchewan in both political and economic term, terms? So that was kind of the uh, motivation for it, Greg. Dale, while your book is largely a political history of Saskatchewan, you do tend to emphasize economic factors and trends which are more global in nature. And sometimes it seems that political decision makers have little running room in light of these very powerful external forces that have transformed the province's economy. Uh, Is this an accurate read of your book? Uh, And if not, why not? Uh, Yes, indeed, Greg. I think that's a very accurate read. Uh, In fact, uh, 
I would say that the transformation of Saskatchewan was driven largely by external factors, national and, and global uh, events and, and issues. And so this is really a story about how Saskatchewan adapted or didn't adapt to those uh, external forces. And I, I, I write a chapter early on called What's in an Era? And I, 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 I define sort of the, from the late 60s to the late 90s as being sort of this key time period when these, these external factors, not all external, but, but many of them external to Saskatchewan, uh, emerged uh, in uh, in Canada and around the world, and 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 what impact that they had on uh, Saskatchewan, being a province that you know is uh, is an export oriented economy with a lot of natural resources. These global events that I talk about, including the OPEC uh, OPEC oil crisis and the two oil shocks of the nineteen seventies, uh, the subsequent. Uh, fight over control uh, and ownership of natural resources in Canada, where Saskatchewan and Alberta at the time were defending themselves against what they perceived as intrusions by the federal government, and what was the, sort of the policy response to that, and issues even like the October crisis in Quebec, uh, the FLQ crisis, and and the effect that had on the dynamics of Canadian politics, and uh, leading eventually to the. Uh, the uh, constitutional issues and uh, uh, Trudeau in the early 80s, uh, late 70s, early 80s, attempt to patriate the Constitution, successfully patriate the Constitution. So all those factors, I think, uh, and also the other thing I should mention is stagflation during the uh, during much of the 1970s, where we had slow economic growth and very high interest rates and the toll that took on people and their perceptions of public policy issues. So I sort of think all those things together were very much shaped the the psychology of the province and the politics of it at the same time. You devote an entire chapter to the nature of populism, which you argue has uh, been a very important element uh, in the history of Saskatchewan. Uh, how do you define and describe populism? And why do you think it is the overlooked dimension of sort of what historians have written about the province's politics, in particular, maybe even the CCF government under Tommy Douglas and the role of populism at that time between 1944 and 1961? Yeah, well, in terms of the definition of populism, I guess uh, the most sort of basic uh, description of it is some uh, is voice of the people. In effect, it's about, uh, you know, in political terms, uh, it's an approach that attempts to uh, appeal to the so-called ordinary people, the average people out there who feel that their concerns are being ignored by the economic and political elites. So that uh, is, I believe, the essence of populism. And I think it uh, it's true in Saskatchewan terms when, when it has been a significant factor in politics that it was... Uh, rooted in those sorts of sentiments where people feel quite alienated from uh, economic and political power that they see as distant and not attentive uh, to their needs. In terms of the CCF government of uh, Tommy Douglas, there's no doubt, I mean, they this was a populist movement, the CCF. It was agrarian populism uh, that brought uh, essentially the, the CCF to power in 1944 and in large me measure sustained them through to, to 1961. And, 
And Douglas himself was a, <clears throat> a very powerful populist kind of figure. He could relate uh, to the concerns of average people and speak to them. And, and that was a very, I think, um, powerful factor in his uh, success and this CCF being in power for as long as it was for 20 years and 17 of those years with uh, uh, with um, Douglas as the as the the leader so uh, you know I, I think that populism is um, a very important factor and uh, you know I and I also believe that the, the CCF or CCF NDP has never fully recovered from the loss of of uh, a populist leader like Douglas. They've never been able to find someone, you know, equivalent in terms of being able to capture the imagination of uh, Saskatchewan people in a kind of populist way. Right. And we'll talk about uh, premiers in uh, recent years, but uh, uh, let's go to a premier who was not at all a populist, and that was Alan Blakeney. The NDP under Alan Blakeney were elected in 1971 and then re-elected in 1975 and 1978. And it seemed that between the Douglas and Lloyd period of 20 years and then the Blakeney governments, successive governments, that the CCF NDP were indeed the governing party. However, you identify some important external and internal changes that were taking place that actually underneath the service were fundamentally changing the political culture even then. What were these? Well, I think there were a couple of them. Uh, I talked earlier about uh, the external events and its effects on Saskatchewan, and I think the 1970s was uh, a very important sort of period when that, when that occurred. And uh, uh, stagflation, which was a significant factor in those years, uh, and high interest rates that people were experiencing took a heavy toll, I think, uh, on um, the Blakeney government, particularly in retrospect, when you when you look back on it, in terms of how it changed uh, people's political uh, political views. And uh, the other thing was the struggle over resources, control of resources. And the Blakeney government faced clearly intrusions by the federal government in terms of its attempt to get uh, uh, greater revenue from natural resources, which of course are under the jurisdiction of, of provincial governments. And Blakeney was very much defending that, uh, defending uh, what he saw as these intrusions by the federal government, as Peter Lougheed was doing in Alberta at the same time. And uh, the Blakeney government uh, saw public ownership as a primary policy means to defend those uh, those interests, because if you have public ownership of, uh, in terms of crown corporations of uh, natural resources, clearly the federal government cannot in any way uh, impose taxes on provincial crown corporations. So uh, it was both ideologically, I think, consistent with the Blakeney government's view of economic development, but it was also something that they believed would uh, defend the interests of, uh, of uh, Saskatchewan in terms of uh, control of natural resources. So I think those were important, very important issues in defining the Blakeney government, but, uh, but they also weakened them politically. Um, that became apparent, you know, with the rise of uh, or the defeat of the Blakeney government in 1982. 
So as our witness to yesterday, take us back to the New Year's Eve party in 1975 that you described in chapter six. What happened and why did it form such a major impression on you? So this was a New Year's Eve party. I was not even a political journalist at this point. I was in I was in journalism in newspapers, but I wasn't writing about government or politics. And uh, I was invited to a New Year's Eve party at our neighbors, and these uh, our neighbors were very uh, good, strong supporters of the of the NDP. I mean, uh, and a great family. But anyway, so I get in. We, my wife and I, get invited to the party, and we go. And uh, it's a gathering of largely people, as I recall, this is 1975, uh, who are, you know, pretty ardent NDP supporters. And uh, the premier, Alan Blakeney, was there himself. And so, you know, I'm standing around on, you know, uh, on the fringes of conversations and whatnot. And uh, I was just struck by how candid people were about their uh, political beliefs and their and the ideology that they subscribe to. And the subject uh, came up of... Uh, you know the the beginning sort of uh, beginnings of um, cable television from the United States coming into Saskatchewan at the time, and this became a, a, a subject of, of of conversation and concern in a political sense because they they feared the influence of the U.S. Uh, on Saskatchewan people because of uh, you know cable television coming from the U.S. networks and how this would limit the ability of the NDP to take more activist socialist kind of policies. I mean, those are the exact, the kind of words that were being used. So it just, uh, I mean, it, it, I found it uh, interesting and enlightening. And also, I mean, reflective too of a very real issue of uh, the influence of external media on uh, domestic culture. And I mean, we see it in spades today in terms of social media and what's happened in terms of uh, you know, now there are no limits on the kind of information that flows across borders. And this was just the very early days of that kind of concern becoming evident. Right. Um, and I would imagine that at that time, I mean, it, it, the political culture had been very much shaped by what I would call um, the influential voices and media within the province that had been dominant. And all of a sudden you had this beginning of this major shift, which has only continued. This was viewed with greater concern by this group, I take it, than by other groups. Yeah, I, I think that's fair to say. And I think, I mean, legitimate concerns here, right, uh, in terms of the cultural and therefore political influence of external voices like that. But uh, it was just something that I think provided me with a little context and insight in terms of the politics of Saskatchewan and, um, you know, how people perceived the management of these kinds of issues. What was the legacy in your mind of the progressive conservative government under Grant Devine in Saskatchewan? Uh, you describe, in fact, the selling of the Potash Corporation of Saskatchewan towards the end of that government as a crucial moment in the history of the province. Why was that, and what was the overall legacy of the Devine government? Well, um, when I look back at the last 50 years, I've come to believe that among the pivotal moments in terms of the transformation of the province, and there are several, but among the uh, more significant ones uh, was the privatization of the Potash Corporation by the divine government in, in 1989. 
And the reason I say that is because uh, in the previous decade under the Blakeney government, uh, nationalization, public ownership of the resource sector uh, by the Blakeney government had become a real defining feature in my mind, and I think in the public's mind, of the NDP government. It was the really its its public identity, I think, was tied more to that, more to public ownership and to potash in particular because of the sort of iconic nature of potash, the potash resource in Saskatchewan, as, you know, Saskatchewan is the, uh, if not the largest, very close to being the single largest producer of potash in the world. And we have immense uh, reserves of potash, so it's very, uh, you know, uh, critical to the economy of the province. So the NDP's nationalization of that, it was a huge story internationally in the U.S. and elsewhere, the government, you know, buying out private companies to take control of the of the potash sector. So when when Devine privatized it uh, 13 years later, I guess it was, um, it essentially erased that identity for the NDP and beyond just potash, but potash being the iconic sort of uh, resource that it was very important uh, that that because it was seen as the potash uh, nationalization under Blakeney was seen as sort of a pivotal event. So when Blake or uh, Divine privatized it, and you know, and previously had privatized Sask Oil and Saskatchewan Mining Development Corporation, he essentially the Conservative government essentially took public ownership of natural resources, uh, commercial uh, nat- uh, commercial uh, uh, crown corporations off the agenda in Saskatchewan. It's never, and they've never returned. Nobody talks about renationalizing the potash corporation or an oil company or the uranium company. I mean, it's just not on the agenda anymore. And I don't think the NDP has ever been able to recover from that in terms of of uh, creating a new identity for itself that in the public mind. Now I'd like to talk a bit about the Rono government, but we have to be honest with our audience. Uh, Dale, you and I first met in the 1990s during the time of the Romano government. I was a new, newly minted deputy minister, and you were a columnist, and quite an influential political columnist with the, with the leader post tracking the government at the time. So when I ask this question, uh, you know, you can be as uh, personal about it as you want, because I know that you were uh, writing about the government uh, quite extensively at the time. So the Romano government comes into office in 1991. It's facing an enormous public debt problem and quite a poor economic outlook due to resource prices, etc. Can you describe what that government did in response to the crisis and what were the long-term consequences of how it handled the crisis? Well, Greg, as you say, you know, you you were very much involved with that government. In some ways, I should be asking you this question. <laughs> And I think actually I did a bit when uh, when I was working on the book. So you know this period likely far better than I do. But at any rate, uh, the Romano government inherited an incredible, a huge fiscal crisis when it took power after um, the uh, uh, nine years of the of the progressive, progressive conservative Grant Divine government. And uh, it, it meant that the Romano government faced some really difficult choices in terms of uh, trying to reduce uh, the, the operating deficit, which I think in its first year was about, uh, roughly speaking, $700 million. Uh, and, uh, you know, the payment on 
just payment on the interest on the debt was the third largest expenditure of government behind health care and education. So clearly this had to be brought under control. Um, and uh, what the, you know, one of the things the government did in its, you know, early in its, its mandate before it got to a balanced budget, which was the first government in, in provincial government in Canada to, to achieve a balanced budget uh, was uh, healthcare reform. And a part of that, of course, was, uh, rationalizing the delivery of healthcare in rural Saskatchewan, which led to the uh, closure of 52 rural hospitals in Saskatchewan. And that was a, I think it was absolutely the right public policy decision, but it brought with it tremendous political consequences that, um, you know, affected uh, support for the, uh, the government, the NDP government in rural Saskatchewan that it struggled with uh, uh, in the years to come. And I think even to, to this day, you hear the, uh, the Saskatchewan party members refer back to the closure of rural hospitals as, uh, a critique of, uh, of the current NDP in, in opposition. So I think that that was the primary kind of result of the, the fiscal dilemma that, uh, the Romano government uh, faced at the time, uh, as part of a health care reform agenda, which I think was also the right agenda, too, in terms of moving towards uh, uh, more of a wellness model than a sickness model in terms of controlling health care costs. Now, many observers have described the NDP uh, Liberal Coalition of 1999 as a disaster for the Liberals. Um, and you actually break with this conventional wisdom by stating that it was equally a disaster for the NDP, that contrary to what critics said, that uh, the NDP gained all the benefit from the coalition, you argue that it, it just wasn't in the long-term interests of the New Democratic Party in Saskatchewan. Why uh, did you come to this conclusion? Well, I mean, uh, what that led to basically created was a polarized political environment where politics was became a binary choice between the um, the NDP and the newly formed Saskatchewan party because uh, the liberals basically disappeared because they were subsumed into the NDP government it was a coalition government so it's three members three MLAs uh, two of which uh, went into cabinet and the third became the speaker I mean, the, the the Liberal Party has essentially disappeared at that time. And traditionally in Saskatchewan, you know, the NDP hasn't often gotten more than 50% of the vote, I think only on a couple of occasions in, in, in provincial elections. And they've needed a bit of a split in terms of on the right uh, to be uh, successful and sustain themselves electorally. And by doing this, they, the NDP essentially eliminated that uh, reality going forward. And the other thing I would say about it is coalition governments can make sense. It can be, you know, uh, the right thing to do. Uh, but I think you have to be on the right side of history to do it. Coalition governments make sense when the um, uh, when it's seen as part of a trend, a part of the political transition that's underway. In this case. It was seen as, I think, by most people, uh, uh, an attempt, a uh, successful attempt, by the NDP to hold on to power, to resist the transition that was underway politically, the rising Saskatchewan party. 
And although the NDP won the subsequent election in 2004, I think that can be explained by simply missteps by the Saskatchewan party in the, in the campaign itself. Otherwise, uh, the, the, uh, the Saskatchewan party likely would have, I believe, you can make the argument, would have maybe come to power sooner than it did. Well, can you go in a little bit more uh, detail on the history of the emergence of the Saskatchewan party and how it became the official opposition in 1997? Yeah, really. Well, two factors. I mean, it, it, the Saskatchewan was, uh, party was formed out of uh, uh, a group of liberal MLAs, not all of them, some of the liberal MLAs that were in in uh, opposition in, in the legislature, and the remaining progressive conservative MLAs, uh, a handful of them, they came together to form this new party. And by doing so, it gave them opposition status in terms of numbers, even though the liberals still had some members that uh, remained. And the reason this happened, in, in, well, a couple of reasons. One is that uh, the Liberals had failed to meet the expectations in terms of uh, electoral outcomes in the 1995 election. Uh, people, even though they, they, they increased their seat number marginally, people thought they sh were going to do better and should do a lot better. And a lot of the criticism then focused on the leader at the time, Linda Haverstock. And there was great internal dissension uh, where, you know, uh, her her leadership was in peril, and she eventually uh, wa resigned or stepped down as leader. Uh, and so some of those liberal MLAs were looking for an alternative. And the progressive conservative MLAs, I mean, the, the, the PC brand was so damaged, so tainted by the divine years, particularly the uh, scandals that resulted from misspending of uh, legislative funds uh, by the divine government, by some of their MLAs. That that uh, brand, the PC brand, is so tainted. They needed a new brand, so the Liberals and these PCs came together to form the Saskatchewan Party, uh, which immediately became the official opposition. And how did this uh, party go from being an opposition party to being what some now term, and in fact, I think you actually refer to them as such in your book, as the new governing party of Saskatchewan? Yeah, well, <clears throat> this is 2007, and, you know, uh, there had been 16 years the NDP had been in power, first under Romano and then one term under uh, Lauren Calvert. So I think it's inevitable in politics that a time for change uh, mentality uh, seeps into the public consciousness, and I think that was the case in 2007. People just felt it was time for a change. And, uh, I mean, coupled with that was... The Brad Wall factor, as as the leader of the Saskatchewan party, he, he took over after uh, they had lost in the 2004 election. Wall became the leader. And he's a very, you know, eloquent, uh, even charismatic uh, with, uh, leader with a, with a streak of populism in him. And I think that, you know, the Wall factor, the mood for change... Uh, and the fact that, you know, he was able to inject a certain sense of optimism and generational change into politics at the time. And, uh, it took root and, um, uh, Saskatchewan party was elected and, you know, they've been in power now since 2007 with huge majorities, uh, in every subsequent election. Well, given some of the reform party roots of the party, uh, the SAS party, that is. How did uh, Wall manage to get his cabinet, caucus, and party 
to become, in your words, less ideological and more pragmatic and hog the center of the political house in the province? Well, I think one important factor was that Brad Wall, who had actually been a a political uh, uh, staffer in the Grant Divine Government of the 1980s, I think he learned from the mistakes that the, the Divine Government made in terms of don't stray too far uh, ideologically away from the center. That's not to say that the Saskatchewan Party hasn't had, you know, followed some uh, conservative type of policies. Uh, but Wall uh, realized that you needed to be pragmatic and stay as close to the center as you can without losing your base uh, to to hold power. And, and I think the best example of that is he hasn't done anything uh, in terms of oh, like the privatization for agenda agenda, for example, uh, you know, he, he, he recognizes that the utility crown corporations in Saskatchewan remain very popular. And while there has been some suggestion that uh, his government might move in that direction, he hasn't done that because he didn't do that because he recognized the, the dangers there. And I have all, always thought that uh, if, you, if you look at Wall's speeches and what he's done, he, he very much would uh, always characterize his policies as being consistent with Saskatchewan, you know, values about, you know, independence, resilience, hard work, entrepreneurship, community, these kinds of things, you know. So he would, as I say in the book, he would depoliticize uh, a political message for political purposes, right? He would He would refer to the kind of values that most people could say, yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that, or I, I subscribe to that. And he would use that then to defend his policies quite well. And the other I, significant thing I, I would point out is his, again, this is potash, but his, his opposition to the sale of uh, the hostile takeover, that is, of the potash corporation, which is privately held, publicly traded, but uh, hostile takeover by uh, Australia's uh, BHP Billiton, which was seen as something that could damage Saskatchewan's uh, interest in terms of the potash resource. And he was very much opposed to that, uh, which you wouldn't expect from uh, somebody who's a conservative free market type of politician, because this was really the free market, you know, acting. And and he stepped in to uh, very much oppose it and built enough political pressure on that front to get the federal government to uh, not agree to the uh, to the sale. Yeah, amazing. He got Stephen Harper, who was uh, very much uh, opposed to the idea of intervening in the market, to intervene in a major way in this case. Uh, Quite amazing. So what is the dominant trend then of the past half century in shaping politics in Saskatchewan? And as a very final question, will there be another major political realignment in the next decade or two? Are there underlying trends that lead you to believe that there's going to be yet another major realignment? More than anything, there are multiple factors, but the the single most important has been kind of globalization and open markets, the move towards that, and the effect that that has had on the farm economy in Saskatchewan, which we really haven't talked about. But I mean, the transformation of the rural economy in Saskatchewan has been truly transformative and uh, significant. 
And uh, I think the effect that that's had on the NDP is that it has become really utterly irrelevant in rural Saskatchewan because it's never been able to adapt to this new, more open market type of uh, uh, agribusiness that's that, that's occurring out there. Uh, so I think that that, that has been um, the most significant kind of factor. Um, I, I do expect there to be some kind of realignment on the center left. Now that realignment could be, you know, the NDP just uh, adapting to this new reality and renewing itself in some some form, which it hasn't been able to do in a policy sense. Or maybe maybe there will be a new party. Maybe the NDP isn't the vehicle that can work anymore on the center left in Saskatchewan. I don't know, but I think there will be some some adaptation. Uh, in that area, whether it's a new party or just uh, a reformed NDP, uh, we shall see. And the other thing I would say is that, you know, with populism always lurking below the surface in Saskatchewan, uh, there could also be a fracturing on the right. Uh, and we see the Buffalo Party, which is out there <clears throat> in, uh, you know, fairly limited form. But clearly the Saskatchewan Party is is concerned about its right flank in losing uh, that kind of support. So if there is a, a significant uh, emergence of a new right-wing party in Saskatchewan, like further right-wing, uh, that could aid in uh, a political realignment as well. Well, Dale, on that note, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. It's a great pleasure to be able to talk to you again. Thank you, Greg. I appreciate it very much. My guest today was Dale Eisler. His book, From Left to Right, Saskatchewan's Political and Economic Transformation, was published by the University of Regina Press in 2022. You've been listening to Witness to Yesterday. Please visit our website at www.champlainsociety.ca. The best way you can support this podcast is by becoming a subscribing member of the Champlain Society. If you like what you've heard, let your friends know by forwarding this podcast through the social media of your choice. Podcasts is made possible by the members of the Champlain Society who work hard to bring to life original documents in Canadian history. We want to thank the L.R. Wilson Institute of History at McMaster University, as well as a consortium of Canadian scholarly book publishers that includes the University of Toronto Press, UBC Press, McGill Queen's University Press, the University of Regina Press, and the University of Ottawa Press. This particular podcast on Canadian political history was sponsored by Don Bourgeois and Susan Campbell of Kitchener, Ontario. They help fund these podcasts to honor their parents, Jean-Marie and Mary Bourgeois, and Aloysius and Regina Campbell parents who instilled in their children a passion for Canada's political history. My name is Greg Marshallden. This interview was recorded on May 3, 2022. It was produced by Jessica Schmidt. <laughs>